Welcome to this week's episode of Zen Founder. This week, Sherry interviews John Lanza. John Lanza is on a mission to help families raise money smart, money empowered kids so they can live happier, more fulfilled lives. He's written a book called The Art of Allowance, a short practical guide to raising money smart, money empowered kids. And he's written three other children's picture books. As you know, from time to time, we talk to uh, parents and our own kids, and we talk about raising entrepreneurial kids, and part of that is understanding the value of money. Um, you know, because a lot of of starting a company, a lot of starting these business ventures is a realizing that it can make you more money, and and the power that comes with being able to do that on your own, as well as being wise in the business itself. You know, and not taking all your profits out and spending them or wasting them on other things. So this week is a great conversation between Sherry and John Lanza. But before we dive in, if you have not purchased a copy of the book, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together by Sherry Walling with a little help from Rob Walling, it would be amazing if you could hop over to Amazon and purchase a copy. It's 4 or $5 on Kindle. And if you have read the book, leaving a review would be super appreciated. Five-star reviews allow us to get found easier in search engines and allow other people to hear the message that we're trying to spread with Zen Founder. So thanks so much. Let's dive into this week's episode. We plan to talk through the issues faced by startup founders and the people close to them. That overused phrase, work-life balance. It is an amazingly focusing time. This is what we do, you know, aside from our families, this is our whole work life. I am also known as Dr. Wine. and his or her significant other would both get value from the episode. Okay, so I am super excited to have a conversation with John Lanza. He is someone who has thought a ton about a topic that's really important to me and to many of you who listen to this podcast, which is how to talk with kids deal with kids, support kids in their experience of money, of using money well and sort of coming into money responsibility. So John, you've written a couple books, you have a podcast, you have a website called What Money Mammals that provides some resources for kiddos. You have clearly thought a lot about this. Thank you for joining me. I'm excited to talk to you. Well, thanks for having me, Sherry. I appreciate it. I, uh, I have thought a lot about it and I'm looking forward to having a conversation and talking to you and your audience. Okay. Well, I wanted to start off. You have a couple of terms that you use to describe your work that I really liked, and I wanted to ask you about them. What does it mean to you to be money smart? Yeah, the money smart, I think the reason why I like to use that smart is just, it's, it's kind of the same reason that we, when we talk about spending with the kids, we talk about spending smart. It's kind of a reminder that when you're thinking of or using money in any way that you want to be mindful of it. So that's, that's kind of what I think when it comes to that, that term money smart. And then we talk, we also talk about money empowerment. And I just, I, I seg into that because I think that's where we're always trying to go is from money smarts to money empowerment. Money empowerment is really simply where you hold sway over your money or your kids hold sway over your money and not vice versa. So you're in control or your kids are in control. As opposed to the money being in control of them. 
Yeah, because you know, money money is one of those topics. It's it can be very heavy, but it's not it's not too hard to kind of move out of that heaviness. And it really starts with a conversation so that kids we can kind of remove taboos, have money conversations with our kids. And we want to get them and really ourselves to that point where we use money as a tool. That's all it is. It's nothing more than that. I mean, really, it's been described as it's it's really essentially like the greatest story of humankind because it's, it only has the value that we have ascribed to it. So you need to take control over it. And once you do that, that's where we kind of can get to that point of money empowerment. Which I love, and I love that language. I was going to ask you about that term too, but I feel like it is, it's so hard really for us, even as grownups to deal well with the psychology of money and the way that our identity is wrapped up with money or the way that our negative feelings get played out in ways that we spend money, whether that's addictive shopping or impulse buying, or, you know, we are sort of entangled with money where it it makes it hard to really experience it as a tool. So how are you trying to protect kids from that kind of highly emotional, highly entangled relationship with money that so many of us struggle with? I think you're kind of touching on this, this idea of money shame, uh, which is actually something that when I was doing my podcast, one of the moms I was talking to brought that up. And I, it keeps coming up because I think a lot of us have this, I've, I've addressed it myself and we all have a certain relationship with money. It's a lot of times that is fraught with difficulty. And I think actually when you start to teach your kids about money, I've said this a few times, that it's an opportunity really to kind of confront any of any of the money demons that you might have. Because one of the things you have to do is you can't, you can't be hypocritical when you're talking to your kids because they'll kind of call you out on it. So you've got to address your own money demons. And that's actually something you can embrace in this process. And by doing that, because you, you certainly don't want to be saying one thing and doing another, because like I said, the kids will kind of call you on it. And if they don't call you on it verbally, they'll certainly be calling you on it mentally thinking, well, I'm not going to listen to you if you're going to say this one thing and you're going to do another. But we all have these, you know, whatever you want to call them. We have money shame or demons or whatever they are, it's best to just figure out how to address them. So, you know, one example of that is I don't, I wouldn't consider myself a great investor, but that doesn't mean that we don't have conversations about investing with our kids and the importance of investing and the different types of investing. You know, you don't have to be Warren Buffett to have that conversation with your kids. And I think a lot of people's natural feeling and my natural feeling before I got into that conversation was who am I to have this conversation? Well, you know who you are, you're their parent and you want to be able to start that conversation. And then, you know, they'll, they'll kind of go somewhere with that. Hopefully it'll be in a positive light. What are some of the early topics that you raise with kids and how early do you do that? How do you, how do you begin this conversation about money? Well, we start really early. And the reason we start really early is because kids are exposed to money. And most importantly, they're exposed to that spend message like, you know, we all know as parents from the time they are <laughs> pretty much born. And so we want to talk to them about kind of three key money smart skills. And those are setting and saving for goals, distinguishing between needs and wants, and making smart money choices. And you'll notice those three skills are super simple, easy to address, and something that any parent can do. And starting early is really, really important because you want to open up the conversation with your kids as soon as possible because 
they are being exposed to money. Let's move out. You had mentioned this earlier in the conversation. There's a lot of negativity associated with money, and we want to reduce that negativity. And the best way to do that is to have an ongoing conversation or dialogue with our kids. And starting with those three money smart skills is a good way to do that. So I'm imagining even being in a conversation with a kid who's two or three to begin some of these at least the concepts of needs and wants, right? We're already talking with our kids about that really as soon as they can talk. (laughs) Right. Are there ages in development where you really spend a lot of focused time talking about money? Yeah. Let's, well, let's start with that young kid. So let's say, say like a two or three year old, you know, you're having these conversations with them. Like you said, needs versus wants. Uh, You might even talk about goals. You might talk about spending money. You might go to the store and give them a dollar and have them spend it and collect the change. They're not going to fully understand everything that's going on, and that's kind of okay. There's There's a term called emergent literacy, and if you don't know what the term means, it's the reason that we all read to our kids from a very young age, because we now know that exposing them to language is important for their later reading and writing, their later literacy. And there's a similar term called emergent financial literacy. And so we're exposing them to financial concepts from a young age, not that they're going to fully understand delayed gratification at the age of two. They aren't. But you are going to, and you're not going to talk to them about delayed gratification per se, but you might start talking to them about goals. And you certainly will be talking to them about money, not because they're going to fully understand everything, but you're exposing them to that language. And then you can move into doing, for example, a great way to get started with one of those skills is setting a goal once they're five years old, because at that point, they can kind of set a goal for something that would take them maybe two to four weeks to save for it. They can achieve something. They learn a little bit there about delayed gratification. Again, that doesn't mean that they save for the goal and all of a sudden they're, they're done. You know, they're, they're these perfect money mavens. It just means that you started them along in the process. So talk to me about allowance. Here's the thing with allowance is I've written a book on it called The Art of Allowance, and I put a lot of thought into it. And one of the things I thought about was, well, should I use the term allowance? Because you know, a lot of people have an issue with allowance. They feel like it's a giveaway. You know, The term itself can mean that. But what's really important is that you do an allowance that has a why behind it and uh, that has a purpose behind it. So The allowance that you give to your kids is designed to teach them to become money smart and to eventually learn to to become kind of money empowered. There are strings attached to it. Those strings are that you talk to them about, I'm giving you this money so that you start to learn to become responsible with it. And then you, you want to be pretty clear about it to say, you know, you're going to be saving for goals. You're going to be learning about the difference between needs and wants. You're going to be learning to make smart money choices. And that last one, the money choices, is kind of the first thing that you do with allowance. So what we like to do is I, I like, we have three jars, and we didn't invent the three-jar system. That existed. It's the share and the save and the spend jars. So it's the sharing is charitable giving. Money goes there. Save is for longer-term items. And then spending, we call it the spend smart jar because, like I said before, we want to associate mindfulness with our spending. And I'll just explain kind of how a basic allowance might work for a five-year-old. So a five-year-old might get $5 and they would get $1. We would, what we call nudge, or we'd opt them into putting that money into share. They don't have an option. They have to do that. 
And the reason we want to do that is at that age, we want to teach them that giving back is a good thing. So we put some money into the share jar. Then we put $1 into the save jar. So they have $5, one goes into share, one goes into save. And the idea there is that you pay yourself first. So you're teaching them that concept that when you get some money, you're putting some money in the save jar, that's going to be used for longer term items. And then you have $3 and these are kind of their discretionary dollars. And this is really where the, this is the autonomy and this is the opportunity for them to start to make money choices. Now, you know, most of the time they're going to take that and just put it into the spend smart jar, perfectly fine. But sometimes if they're saving for a goal, they might take that money and put it into the save jar. Sometimes if they're really charitable kids, they might put it into the share jar. But it's their money to start learning about how to use money and to start learning that every time they get money, they have to make money choices. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, we have done a similar thing in our family where we don't tie allowance to chores necessarily. Like chores are just part of living in this house. If you want to, if you want to live here, like you have to pick up your stuff and put the dishes away and like, we're not paying you for that. That's, you know, the privilege of being part of the family. So you get chores, but the allowance or the money that our children receive really is a teaching tool. Like it exists for these very conversations about emergent literacy or for the conversations about what you do with money. You know, we've sort of gone, we've done away with the payment system where allowance is tied to specific things you do. Well, I'm glad you brought up the chores subject because it's always something that comes up with allowance. And you hit on exactly the key point, which is that people just naturally think they should tie allowance to chores. When we started it, we thought about that too. And that is partially because that's kind of what our parents did for us. But I also know that one of the reasons that the allowance didn't stick for us was that it was kind of loosely tied to chores. There wasn't a purpose behind it. But if you do like you're talking about, where you say to them, you're very explicit that this is a teaching tool, then you have your why and you're going to be able to stick with it. And the other big plus about not tying it to chores, because chores teach a different lesson. Chores teach you that you have to work for money and you can teach them that lesson. So for example, you're talking about the basic chores that they have to do and just be glad that they do that. Otherwise, we'll you know, kick you out into the street. Just kidding. But there's plenty of chores that they can do. They could wash the car, make extra money, you know, stuff that we wouldn't require them to do to live in the house, right? So those, those kind of things, they can actually learn that lesson that chores teach, which is work can earn you money. But that's different than the lesson that they're going to learn with allowance. The other big plus, I think, that happens when you decouple chores and allowance is that you reduce the negativity that's associated with money. And the reason I bring that up is that anybody who has kids knows that there are just pretty much constant battles when you're talking about chores. And if you have your money tied to chores, there's just going to be a lot of punitive language tied to, you know, you didn't do the dishes, I'm docking you this money. And it's just too, there's too much opportunity for, to, for that negativity. So there's, this is a, it's a side benefit. It's not really the philosophical reason why you don't tie chores and allowance, but I actually think it's a significant side benefit because we really want to reduce the amount of negativity that's associated with money kind of societally and certainly within our own families. So you have teenage daughters. I have a son who just turned 12. He's sort of tween, tweening. How is the conversation about money or some of the the lessons that you have with money different with, you know, with an older child than it is with that five-year-old who's got his 
three jars. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, first of all, it's seething with attitude. That's, the, uh, <laughs> that's There's a lot of eye rolling and hair flipping. There's just a whole ton of that. But, you know, Bill Dwight, who runs a company called FamZoo, I had him on the podcast, and, and he's now a grandfather. So he said, he's like, said, you know what, just stick with it. Even though they're eye rolling, they are listening. The lessons do get through. So that was good to hear from someone who's been kind of through the mill, gone further down along the journey than I have. But it does change. So one of the things that we do with allowance is you can, allowance can grow with your kids. So when our kids uh, moved into that tween phase, we went with what, what I call a breakthrough allowance. And so that is they break through into becoming more adults. And so now they have more responsibility and they get a larger allowance. So our kids now, both our 15-year-old and 13-year-old, get a monthly sum, and that covers uh, that covers the phone, that covers clothes, that covers food out. So if they if they make their own lunches, then we pay for that. But if they want to buy lunch at school, if they want to buy lunch or coffees or well, not coffees, but they want to buy you know ice cream on the boulevard or whatever it is with their friends, that's their responsibility and also gifts. So they get a much larger allowance and it sounds like a lot. So for example, like our 15-year-old gets $125 a month. Sounds like a lot of money until you realize the responsibilities that she has. And then also, if she wants additional things that she wants to save for, that's all covered in that allowance. It's not a ton of money. Now, the reason we want to pay it off on a monthly basis, or we want to pay them monthly, is that we want them to get used to this idea when they go out into the work world and they're making their own money, that they have to figure out how to kind of work through it and not blow it all, because it feels like a windfall, especially the first time you do it. And anytime, who, anytime a parent goes through this process, they will re- their, their kids almost every one of them blows their money early and then has to kind of suffer through the month. But they, you got to let them suffer through the month and then they realize it and then they start to kind of more, they budget their money a little more properly during the month. But they learn how to deal with these kind of windfalls because it feels like that, but it's not because they have the responsibility that they, that they have to deal with monetarily on a monthly basis, if that makes sense. Yeah. Have there been moments where it's been hard for you to stick to your guns and and watch one of your kids maybe blow all our money at the beginning and sort of be agonizing through the course of the month? Yeah. You know, that happens. It it happens all there's, there's, there's so many different opportunities for, for learning and for, for these teaching moments. And this is a, this is a kind of good way to talk about like differences, money personalities that different kids have. So one of our kids, for example, one of them is a big saver. The other one is more of a spender. Now, I know how she feels because I am definitely more like that. I just have now almost 50 years of experience to kind of kind of be able to deal with that feeling that you think, oh, I have to have this. And she thinks that. And sometimes we were just on a, on a trip. She wanted to buy a souvenir. She was way low on her money. She had enough money for it. But I told her, I said, I just think you're making a pretty poor decision here. She went ahead and bought it anyway, right? So I didn't think it was the best decision. But what's good about it is it was her money. So, And then she did have to kind of suffer through wanting to buy something a little bit later in the trip and not having the money for it. That kind of stuff happens a lot, whereas our one of our other daughters much more of a saver. And in the same store we were, we were at, she was looking at something as she was a, a less expensive item. And she's like, eh, you know, I don't really need this. 
And those personalities come to the fore, and it's really important to understand that they are going to have different different personalities and to just kind of figure out, you just have to kind of deal with those personalities. But the one thing you don't want to do is give in and and pay for something where you realize they, they just, they kind of have to go through a little bit of that, of that suffering from time to time if they're going to learn how to kind of deal with their money properly. Yeah. What are some of the common... I mean, maybe mistakes isn't the right word, but some of the places where parents get snagged in this process, I could see one of them being, you know, you're on a trip, kid spends their money, but yet the family still wants to go do something or go out to ice cream or something. And and the kid doesn't have the money anymore. And it kind of is a bummer for everybody in the trip. Well, (laughs) I'll say if you're on a trip, for example, like that, and uh, and you're going out for ice cream, that's, that's a different case if you're doing it as a family, like we would pay for that. Right. So, okay. Yeah. These are not hard and fast rules. They are guidelines. And so, a, a good example a friend of mine, her daughter has been showing a lot of really money smart behavior. She was at the store agonizing over purchasing something. She actually had the money, but she decided that she didn't want it. But this mom that I was talking to bought it for her. And she just, you know, it was, it was like a $25 item or something. It was, you know, it wasn't, wasn't too expensive. And she, we had a conversation. She said, oh, did I do the wrong thing? I said, you know what? Those one-time things, if you feel in your gut that it's right and she's been showing really money-smart behavior, it's perfectly fine. And just like going out for ice cream, I wouldn't expect them to pay for that if we're going out as a family. Like if she's going out with her friends on the boulevard, different. But if we're going out as a family, then we would pay for that. And these are, there really are just guidelines. So you don't, don't feel like you can't. I think the danger is that, you know, your kid wants some little item, you're at the store, they're, especially in the beginning of the process, they're begging you for it. They may even go into a tantrum. You can't give into that because you kind of have to, especially in the beginning, say you're five-year-old, you're six-year-old, you start an allowance. Most likely you're going to have your tantrum fit. You're going to have your fits. If you get through those, you push through those fits, they're going to learn. And then they are going to eventually realize, oh, I have to bring my own money. And most importantly, they don't care about spending your money. They really care about spending their own money. And the other thing is, it don't be upset if they're constantly negotiating with you. So for example, my one daughter who's more of the spender, she will still be trying to get me to buy stuff for her. But you know, we don't relent. But there, you know, there are times where, I'll, I'll give you an example. If we all went out as a family and then she met her friends, she'll make a very good case for this where she'll say, well, you were going to buy us dinner anyway. We're together. Now I'm out with my friend. And in that case, sometimes I'll be like, okay, well, you made, you made a good case for it. Then we'll, we'll pay for your dinner with your friend. If that, if that kind of thing makes sense. My, my point is really that don't feel like there are, they're, they're not hard and fast rules. You just set guidelines and really understand the kind of main point is that you're just, you want to get your kids to that money smarts, money empowerment place, not to be some kind of just, you know, super tough parent. <laughs> yeah. Rigidity seems to not be a great part of parenting, right? I think the more rigid we get, the the less it serves our kids well. But it, I like your values of really keeping the why in mind. And we're trying to empower kids and help them be wise with money, not not have a set of really complicated rules that everyone has to sort of hop through and figure out and negotiate anytime something comes up about spending. 
Yeah, so you put that much clearer than I did, Sherry, because that's exactly right. It's when you keep the why in mind, and as long as you keep that kind of in front of you, then you can make these decisions. And every allowance is going to be different. Every kid's different. Every parent's different. Every family's different. But there are kind of guidelines, those you know, three core money smart skills, this idea that we're trying to teach the money smarts. We just want them to be, we want them to grow up and eventually be money empowered. We just want them to realize, we don't want money to hold sway over them. But I think one of the key things here is like the reason we have these three clear jars is it's kind of a metaphor for the open conversation we want to have. I, I think more than anything else, it's starting the conversation because once you start the conversation, then that somewhat forces you to address that, that, that kind of pushes you to the beginning of our beginning of our conversation, which is you have to address any of your own money issues. And it's a good thing to address because if you're going to have a conversation with your kids, you're going to have to have a little bit of a conversation with yourself about your own money values and what you want to impart onto your kids. Are there certain like self-reflective or self-assessment questions that you think it would be helpful for parents to ask themselves about their own kind of money habits in, in the midst of this process? Let's say, I, I don't know if there are any questions, but I can tell you, the, <laughs> the only thing I could say is that I've found that the process of teaching my kids about money has been as enlightening for me, I think, as it might, might be for them. Just as an example, one of the things that I've found in having these conversations about needs versus wants is, I really tend to live much more of an essentialist lifestyle. You really cut away a lot of the the junk. You know, I think my my kids get a little tired of me trying to kind of <laughs> go minimalist on them. This is not to say that, you know, everybody needs to embrace minimalism, but it is to say that we need to be mindful of the purchases that we make that we're making and the stuff that we have around us because one of the, one of the values we really want to get across to our kids is that purchases kind of, you know, they fire off the same kind of receptors in your brain that the drugs do, for example, you know, and, and just like drugs, they will, that, that feeling will dissipate. And the sooner kids can understand that purchases or stuff, any of that stuff, is any kind of good feeling you get from it is fleeting, the better off they're going to be. And that's also something that we have to recognize ourselves as adults. And I've, I've found that that's been a valuable kind of process that I've gone through in thinking a lot about this and in teaching my kids about it. Yeah, it's, it seems like it's a good lesson in attachment, right? What do you want to give your energy to? What are you going to hold on to? That every everything we bring into our homes or into our lives requires some amount of mental space or upkeep or something. And we have this conversation a lot with our, our eight-year-old son who is like crazy for Legos and he loves these big complicated Lego sets. And he's a really great saver. So he's done a great job of saving money for, you know, some of these Lego things are like super expensive. They're, they give me $200 easy. So, um, he's, he's saved for them and he's earned money for them and he's really committed to them. But then once he gets them, he plays with them for a while. And then he's like, okay, this isn't interesting anymore. So we've had then some good conversations about how do you keep it intact and then you can sell it and use that money to fund your next purchase. And so anyway, I think these are great conversations about 
just helping our kids be, as you've said, mindful, empowered, smart, and not feel kind of overwhelmed or overburdened by stuff or their own entanglement with money, but being able to use money as a tool that brings value for your life and also allows you to be generous and take care of the things that you need. You know, we haven't, it's, uh, I'm glad you brought the generosity side and, uh, and, and one quick point on your son, I think the most important thing that you're doing there is just having that, you know, those conversations are so rich and, and it gives you such a reference. Like once he's gone through and he's play, he's purchased something, he's played with it and he's gotten tired of it. That reference point for conversation is there. And now the next time that the purchase happens, doesn't mean that he's not going to purchase something the next time but you have a reference point for the conversation. But I wanted to touch on share because we haven't really talked about charitable giving and the share jar because that's one of the, the areas that gets forgotten very easily. You know, and I, I don't have necessarily any great idea. It's not like I, you know, my kids aren't amazing, magnanimous uh, children who are giving all the time. But what you can do is with the jars, when you have that start to fill up, if you're doing an allowance on a periodic basis, you just look at it and you say, you know, you've accumulated like 20 bucks in that share jar. There are always opportunities to give that away, whether it's, you know, Halloween and there's the UNICEF boxes, whether it's the school is doing some kind of fundraising for either some kind of local relief or national relief. You know, you just can, the, the nice part about having that jar and the dollars that are clearly in, that are there in a clear jar is that you can just point to it and say, you know, it might be time for us to do something. So you could, you could take that money and then you can sit down at the computer and do use Donors Choose, which is a terrific site where you can contribute to individual classrooms, both locally and nationally. But you can, it's really important to not forget about the share jar because it's very easy to forget about it because kids are naturally going to obviously care about the spend jar, the spend smart jar. They're going to care about the save jar because they're saving for things that they really want. And sometimes they can forget about that. Now, there are some kids that are just, you know, that's, they're actually uniquely focused on the share jar. This, uh, <laughs> this part of the conversation is not for them. It's for the ones like most of our kids who, who aren't paying attention yeah, to I was going to say, I don't have any of those kids. <laughs> no, neither do I. <laughs> my kids are like, I want to buy stuff. <laughs> I, had a, I had a friend on, on my podcast and her, her son is just constantly giving his money to animal charities and doing, it's like, well, I don't know, whatever you're doing, fantastic. That share jar money is going to good, to good use. But for the rest of us, it's the same thing for us. It's like, you know, you have to kind of be mindful of, oh, you know, I, it's time now that I need to find, you know, I need to uh, give some money away to whatever uh, might be happening locally that could be, that could use some money. Those have been some of my favorite conversations with my kids about money is the the generosity piece. And like I said, they, it doesn't come naturally to them or easily, but even as part of an educational experience where we'll be talking about the news and we'll, you know, talk about the, the kid version of the refugee crisis in Syria. And so, we think about like, how can we help or what these people are really suffering? Who's doing something about this? And usually every year we ask, our, our family will adopt a couple of, of charities that we will spend money or, you know, will contribute money towards. And, and it's a good conversation for my husband and I to have with our kids about kind of pulling back the curtain of our financial choices and what ways that we are aspiring to be generous with our money. And then we'll let our kids pick you know, one thing that they want to give their their charitable giving to each year, whether it's Doctors Without Borders or a local 
lunch program for kids in our area, things like that. So that's, those have been really fun conversations. And they, of course, the kids hold you accountable too. They definitely do. I, that's a wonderful idea. You involve them in your kind of overall giving plan. I think that's, that's a terrific way to do it. Cause then, then they can also contribute themselves too with whatever money they've accumulated in their charitable giving or share jar. I think it comes back to that why. It it feels, I think, a little bit easier to give your money away when you are informed and, you know, have an emotional investment in this thing that you're giving to. So I, I think that's been important for our family to both be educated and aware of these different organizations that are doing great stuff around the world and then then help our kids feel excited about that work too. See, this is like, this is really the beauty of the whole concept is, and it really all centers around conversation. It's just like you open up a conversation and that opens up more conversations. And those conversations can be so rich, whether they're the kind of basic conversation that you're having with your son about purchasing and then, and having that as a reference point, or whether it's this kind of conversation you're having with regard to donations and what values your family has and to what types of charities you should give, whether they're national or local or international. Just when you think about what we can do with conversation, it's it's exciting. It gets me excited. And uh, I I love these conversations because they open up those conversations. Yeah. It's, it's, all just sort of the raw material of parenting, isn't it? Like whether we're talking about money or sex or death or breakfast cereal, like we're always helping our kids be part of the world in a meaningful way. And then of course, we're trying to be part of the world in a meaningful way so that we can have integrity in front of them. Yeah, that's so true. Well, this has been a great conversation and I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing because I do think it's it's just taking some of the mental frustration and confusion out of what many parents want to do really well, but don't necessarily know how to get started. And we'll put some links to your your website, your podcast, your information on the show notes, and people can easily hopefully find you online. Thank you for your time and for the great work you're doing for kiddos and families. Well, Sherry, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. And uh, I love that you could bring clarity to some of my ramblings. So <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what I really appreciate. But thanks for having this. Thanks for you know having those conversations with your kids and having this conversation with me. Awesome. Take good care, John. Thanks, Sherry. Thanks for listening to this episode of Zen Founder. Our theme song is A New Beginning by bensound.com used under Creative Commons.